You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Follow along with me. Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Father, uh, Father, we, we recognize, I think as we read this text, what a, what a weighty passage this is. And yet your word uh, instructs us to come to you all of us who are heavy, who are carrying burdens that we can barely walk on, we would come to you that you would bear that burden, that you would make our walk light. So, uh, Father, we know there's a tension between the two. So I just recognize this morning, Father, my, uh, my inability and my... Um, just my lack. There's nothing in me that is sufficient enough to bring those two tensions together. And so, Father, we we beg you uh, to give us your Spirit to uh, come and shine light on your Word, to use your Word like a light into our hearts, uh, to encourage and strengthen us, to glorify your own name. Father, we, we ask you to do that. I pray, Father, that you would come and purify uh, even now just the motivations of my heart and the words of my mouth. I trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Everybody said? The song that we sang in worship today oceans. I have a favorite song of mine for a number of reasons. Um, that song really began to uh, come out and be popular about five years ago. One of the first times I really remember hearing it. And uh, five years ago uh, marks the anniversary of my mom's death. It would have been uh, um, February 7th last week. Then uh, we buried her on the 15th, and I preached her funeral. So today um, lands right in the middle of that. And so it seemed providential, I guess, that uh, we sang that song. Uh, the Lord is so kind. Life sometimes feels like you're just weathering one storm after the next, doesn't it? Every day we get out of bed, we, we face another day. Um, a lot of those days feel like we're weathering one storm after the next. 
you work a job, I think you know what it feels like to weather some storms. Um, if you're in a romantic relationship or if you're married, I think you know what it's like to weather some storms. If you're single, you know what it's like to weather some storms. If you're raising kids, you have friends, you have bills to pay, if you're in college, if you own a car, if you struggle with addictions or anxiety or worry, you know what it's like um, to weather some storms. And if there's one statement that I'm hoping that you will uh, walk away from today with, it's this statement. Your heart needs to be anchored if you're going to weather the storm. Your heart needs to be anchored if you're going to weather the storm. And I, I think that's ex essentially the, the undercurrent of what Paul is saying to Timothy in this passage. He's saying, hey, Timothy, you, you've been entrusted with a responsibility so pick the right fight. Hold on to the faith. Keep a clean conscience. And be warned and encouraged at the same time by the shipwrecking of others around you. Your, your heart needs to be anchored if you're going to weather the storm, Timothy. The question is, is what do our hearts need to be anchored to? You might write that question down. What do our hearts need to be anchored to? Two-letter word, to. What do our hearts need to be anchored to? How do we stay anchored? If your heart needs to be anchored in your responsibilities and anchored in the right fight and anchored in the faith and anchored in a clean conscience, anchored in the midst of the shipwrecks. That's all true. Your heart needs to be anchored if you're going to weather the storm. But what does that mean? What does that look like? How do you do this? Right. Let's take it one at a time. Number one, your heart needs to be anchored in your responsibility. Your heart needs to be anchored in your responsibility. Verse 18, Paul says, this charge, pause, this charge, it's a responsibility, it's a command, it's an instruction. This charge, this responsibility, this command, this instruction, I entrust it to you, Timothy, my child. Your heart needs to be anchored in your responsibility if you're going to weather the storm. Now, the question I think we need to ask is, what do you think of when you think of the word responsibility? I think of things like my responsibilities as a parent, or as a husband, a friend, or as a pastor, as a Christian. I don't want to be found irresponsible on the day of Christ's return. I want to be found faithful. I want to do a good job. I want to perform well. I want to handle my responsibilities faithfully. Anyone else with me on that? You want to do the same thing? I noticed this too about what Paul says. 
Paul says he's entrusted Timothy with this charge, this command, this responsibility. The word entrusted is a word that might remind you, it reminds me that I am a steward, not an owner. I'm a manager, not an owner. I don't own the football team. Manage it. Difference. I've been given a responsibility to steward or to manage what doesn't belong to me. So Paul is reminding Timothy that he has been entrusted to be responsible with something that doesn't belong to him. The question you have to ask is, what is it that Timothy is responsible for that he doesn't own? Right? The thing that didn't belong to Timothy was the church in Ephesus. The church he's pastoring. The church doesn't belong to him. The church family belongs to Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. Timothy's responsibility as an under-shepherd is to shepherd the flock. And in this first chapter, he's to shepherd the flock by confronting the false teachers in their midst, the elders, the pastors, who were on the team that were leading the flock astray. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a really scary task to me. Anybody else? feel like that would be a scary thing to do, right? There's a few of us in this room that I know have walked that path. Timothy, go confront your friends. Go confront your fellow leaders. They're shipwrecking their faith. They're doing destructive things inside the church. I'm entrusting the church to you, it belongs to Jesus. Go be faithful with this responsibility. Scary day. How would Timothy obey this command? How, how would he obey that command? How, how would he be faithful with that responsibility? How do you and I stand firm in the face of the loss of friendship? Let's just take it at that level. How do you stand firm? How do you confront someone when you know you're going to lose the friendship that you once had? How do we remain faithful in the face of so much unfaithfulness? How, how do we face the losses of this life with resolve? Right? Those are the questions this text stirs up inside of me. <laughs> How do we remain anchored in the midst of the storms of responsibility? You have a responsibility here. What do you stay anchored to so that you can be faithful with that responsibility? Hold on to that question. Look at number two. Your heart needs to be anchored in the right fight. Verse 18, right? Paul says, hey, Timothy, Timothy, this, this charge, this, this responsibility, this command, this, this instruction that I've entrusted to you, it's in accordance with, that phrase, in accordance with. It relates to, it, it rests upon, it is supported by what? The prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare. In other words, your heart needs to be anchored in the right fight if you're going to weather the storm, Timothy. 
Wage the good warfare, not the bad warfare. Anybody here ever picked a stupid fight? Oh, yeah. You and me both. Don't pick stupid fights. Pick smart fights. Don't pick the wrong fights. Pick the right fight. Choose your battles carefully, Timothy. Don't choose them foolishly. Don't fight from a place of fear. Fight from a place of confident expectation in God's faithful promises. How would Timothy do that? How would he do that? I'm going to tell you, these are questions I've been asking from this text for six and a half years. Six and a half years I have continuously come back to this book and asked those questions. It's deeply personal for me. How would Timothy do this? I can't tell you how many times I have sat over my Bible or leaned over my Bible with my Bible on a chair as I knelt down and prayed, God, please help me to be faithful with this. How would Timothy do this? How would Timothy know what the right fight actually was? How do you know when to just give up and walk away from a fight and when to actually pick it and stand firm? How would Timothy muster up the courage to actually pick the fight? I think Paul helps Timothy in this verse by drawing his attention to what? To the prophecies previously made about you. Now, notice you might note that he does this again in chapter 4 of the same book in verse 14 when he says, Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by what? Prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So so what I think Paul is doing here is I think he's reminding Timothy of his calling, number one. He's reminding him of the gift that he had been given to preach the word of God, number two. And I think he's also reminding Timothy that he is not alone. He's surrounded by a community of other qualified leaders, other qualified Christians. The fight that Timothy needed to pick was going to require courage, and his heart would need to be anchored to something that was absolutely immovable and imperishable. He would need the right character. He would need the right community around him. He would need the right tools to pick the fight. By these, by these, Paul says, you may wage the good warfare, Timothy. You will find the courage and the tools to pick the right fight if, if you use the flashlight of your calling and the flashlight of the community of leaders around you and the flashlight of the word of God that you have been called to preach. Be ready in season and out of season. Preach the word, Timothy. Anchor your heart in your calling. Anchor your heart in the community of qualified leaders around you. Anchor your heart to the word of God and you will pick the right fight. When was the last time you stood at the crossroads of your own fear and responsibility? When was the last time you stood at the crossroads of your own fear and responsibility? You know your friend needs to be confronted. 
You know your kid needs to be corrected. You know your co-workers need to hear the gospel. But you also know that your own heart is getting bogged down with the weight of fear and anxiety and your own struggle with sin. When was the last time you stood at the crossroads of your own fear and the responsibility that you have? What do you anchor your heart to? The O, two little words. What do you anchor your heart to when you're standing at the crossroads of fear and responsibility? Hold on to that question. Look at number three. Your heart needs to be anchored in the faith with a clean conscience. Verse 19. Your heart needs to be anchored in the faith with a clean conscience. Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, this, this responsibility that I've entrusted to you, it's important. It's part of your calling. And the only way you're going to walk this out faithfully is if you are holding faith and a good conscience. Your heart needs to be anchored in the faith with a clean conscience if you're going to weather this storm. Every now and then I spend a few hours, I did this this last week, on my extended Sabbath, first Tuesday of the month is an extended Sabbath for me, Monday is always my Sabbath, it's the day where I turn my phone off, I don't answer text messages, I try hard to stay off Facebook and other things, I kind of literally try to stay away from people because I spend my life around people. So Tuesday, on my extended Sabbath, I, I admit that I did spend some time, um, heard of a national leader again, who planted and led a large church of thousands, who is now guilty of abusing his flock, mismanaging millions of dollars. I spend a few hours every now and then researching some of the celebrity pastors in our country, who have shipwrecked their at least their ministry, if not their faith. Every now and then I catch wind of another pastor, another leader in our city, who begins to travel down this slippery slope of doctrinal and moral controversy. Can I just say that we probably have not taken theology seriously enough in our churches? There's no other reason and that we have not taken this seriously. We've created country clubs where people go and receive a product rather than a community of faith. We've created in our country celebrity pastors rather than shepherd elders. There have been times in my journey where I have experienced the devastating loss of friendship with people who have loosened their grip on the faith and fried their consciences through immorality. I was out to dinner with Christy last night, um, and I think I made the statement to her as we were talking about what this week means for me. It, it, this is all so providential. I, I, I sense that I'm standing in a moment that is under the sovereign hand of the Lord. Um, I know that I am all the time, but I can't convey to you other than the emotion that you hear 
how deeply personal this is. You deal with a, a loved one's death on the one hand, and you, you deal with the funeral and the loss, and I preached her funeral. And smack dab in the middle of that, two of my closest friends derailed their faith on this week. I haven't spoke to them since. It's more than a death. How, how do you weather that storm? This is, this is, in some regard, what Timothy is experiencing painfully in our passage. Paul knows it. Paul also knows that the only way that Timothy will keep his heart anchored in the midst of the storm is if he holds on tightly to the faith with a clean conscience. I want you to hear this. True faith will purify your conscience and a pure conscience will fan into faith into flame. Say it again. True faith will purify your conscience and a pure conscience will fan your faith into flame. Uh, the opposite is also true. False faith makes your conscience filthy. And a filthy conscience will fry your faith. You down inside. Every one of us knows the difference between right and wrong. You don't need me to come to your house to tell you that something is wrong. You know it. Because the Spirit of God has written that on our hearts. The law of God has been written on every one of our hearts. The good news of the gospel has been revealed to every one of us in Christ Jesus. There aren't many in America especially who have not heard that Jesus died on a cross for them. Comprehending it is one thing. Sure, that's the Holy Spirit's job. We are called to preach that and not stop evangelizing. We do live in a very privileged society. And every time we sin against God, what we're doing is we're going against our own conscience. And when we do that, we drag our hearts through the muck and the mire of the pig pen. And then, on the inside of the pig pen, we often wonder why our lives are such a wreck. Reality oftentimes is that our lives are a mess because we've seared our consciences by loosening our grip on the faith. And we've loosened our grip on the faith by searing our consciences. Easy to do this. Uh, easy to do this, especially in the midst of the storms of life, right? Something bad happens to you. Easy to loosen your grip on the faith. It's easy to sear your conscience. Would have been easy for Timothy in this moment to loosen his grip on his faith and drag his conscience through the mud in the midst of the storm of the false teachers in Ephesus. So Paul tells him to anchor his heart in the faith with a clean conscience. This must force us to ask questions of application if we're to apply this. 
Do you possess a true faith that is purifying your conscience? Ask that question. Do you possess a true faith, an authentic faith, a real faith? Is your faith vital? Is it growing? Is it alive? Is it real? You'll know it's real if it's purifying your conscience, right? Which just ask the question from the other side around. Do you possess a pure conscience that is fanning your faith into flame? Is your conscience clean? Are you continuously dragging your heart through the mud? Or do you possess a false faith? A fake faith that is making your conscience filthy? Do you possess a filthy, dirty conscience that is frying your faith? Your heart, your heart needs to be anchored. Your heart needs to be anchored in the faith with a clean conscience if you're going to weather the storm. Look at number four. Your heart needs to be anchored in the midst of the shipwrecks. Verses 19 through 20. What Paul is saying, again, he's saying, Timothy, I am entrusting you to be responsible with your calling. Trusting you to be responsible with your calling. Trusting you to pick the right fight. Trusting you to hold on to the faith in a clean conscience. So, as I'm entrusting that to you, be warned and be encouraged. As I remind you, that by rejecting this, by rejecting what? By rejecting what? Look at, look at the passage, verses 19-20. By rejecting this, you've got to ask that question as you read it. By rejecting what? I think, I'm pretty certain, you can make a solid case that by rejecting this, Paul means... Everything I've taught you, his instructions. You could point back simply to what we just talked about, holding on to the faith and the clean conscience. You could just point back to that simply and say that by rejecting that, by rejecting a a need for a clean conscience, by rejecting the need to hold on to a sound faith, by rejecting that, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Names them. Names them. Whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, simply put, your heart needs to be anchored in the midst of the shipwrecks if you're going to weather the storm. Just think about this for a moment. Uh, When someone shipwrecks his or her faith, it's disorienting for you, isn't it? It's disorienting for you. It's painful for you. It's destructive, right? It's disorienting and it's painful because here's the thing. Someone that you once trusted is no longer trustworthy, right? That's disorienting. The person that you once trusted with your children the person that you once trusted with your spouse, or the person that you once trusted with your own heart, no longer trustworthy. Because they're living destructively. Now it's also disorienting because oftentimes that person is someone who actually claims to be a Christian. They 
claim the name of Christ while refusing to listen, right? And refusing to live obediently to Christ. Uncomfortable stuff, isn't it? How many of you feel like you're just squirming right now? I feel like I'm squirming while I preach. Could be me next week on your Facebook post saying crashed and burned, shipwrecked. This is not serious because only because I love you. This is serious because I love my Savior. I don't want to be in that headline next week. I don't want any of you to be anywhere close to that. When you experience this kind of thing happen, it's, it's absolutely earth-shaking. Close friend becomes a Judas. Spouse finds someone new. Relative refuses to own their sin. And to top it all off, they oftentimes blame you for their sinful behavior. They're crazy. Crazy. They reject you. They reject the Lord. They stop listening as their hearts become more and more stubbornly set upon their sinful desires. Shipwreck. Shipwreck. Something has to anchor your heart amidst the storms of shipwreck. Agreed? Paul's tactic for encouraging Timothy to remain anchored in the midst of the shipwrecks is to draw his attention to the shipwrecks themselves. For a person who is actually following Christ, uh, a shipwreck in someone else's life is, again, it's disorienting, it's painful, and it's, it's destructive. But for someone who is following Christ, a shipwreck is also a, a warning <coughs> not to head in the same direction. Because when you see someone else shipwrecking their faith, you, you are reminded that there is a speck in my own eye at the very least, if not a big, fat plank that I need to get out as I cast judgment upon that person. Right? You're to keep a close watch on yourself. Galatians makes it clear that we are to be careful as we go to a brother or sister who has fallen, that we do not fall into the same sin. You picture two ships sailing on the open sea. One is sinking, and the other one is sinking too. No hope, is there? You've got to be a healthy ship if you're going to help the other ship no longer sink. The analogy just continues. You can't give what you don't have. Right? So for a person who is following Christ, a shipwreck in someone else's life is, again, it's disorienting, painful, destructive. But it also warns us not to head in the same direction. It also, also encourages us when we see other Christians handling that faithfully. 
The Apostle Paul was no newbie to this. That's why he's writing about it, right? Apostle Paul had his lumps and bruises. He'd been through a storm or two already. This was nothing new to him. Not that it wasn't still painful, I'm certain, even from a distance. Paul wasn't afraid to remind Timothy that he wasn't alone and that there is a good purpose from a good God in the midst of the shipwrecks. Hold on to that. There is a good purpose from a good God in the midst of the shipwrecks. (coughs) Paul, as I've already alluded to and as you've already heard, had personally removed two disqualified shipwrecked men from the church in Ephesus. Already done this work. And he makes it clear that the purpose of the removal, the reason that he removed them, it was founded on a hope. It was founded on a hope that if these men tasted the consequences of their sin, if they tasted the food in the pig pen, how gross it is, they could possibly return one day legitimately hating their sin and loving Jesus. The way Paul says it is that he removed them so that they may learn not to blaspheme. It'd be really easy for us to sit in this room and say, well, we're in church today. I don't think this is a threat to me to learn not to blaspheme. Blaspheme isn't just what you do with your words. We oftentimes think of that. Blaspheme becomes a lifestyle, a blasphemous lifestyle, whereby the lifestyle you live is in direct contradiction to the words of Scripture. Right? That would be to live a life that's blasphemous towards God. Paul wanted to teach these men to learn not to blaspheme. A last major takeaway, I think, uh, for Timothy uh, from this passage was the reminder that, that, that these men that Paul had removed. They had shipwrecked their faith. Why? Hit this again. Because they rejected what Paul tried to teach them. Let that be a warning to any of us in this room. If you're rejecting your brother and your sister as they come to you under the word of God, giving you biblical wisdom and biblical direction, you stand in danger. Danger of shipwrecking your faith. That's heavy. And we need to hear this. I need to hear this. And you need to hear this. And I am suspicious that most of us need to repent. Best. Ways that we have allowed our stubborn, hard hearts to turn deaf ears of brothers and sisters. These men stopped listening to biblical instruction. They plugged their ears They didn't want to hear what Paul said. They wanted to stubbornly pursue the very things that Paul warned them against. So what had happened with these men? Their filthy consciences fried their faith. Their faith was fried while Paul and Timothy and the church at Ephesus held on to the faith with clean consciences amidst the shipwrecks. This is really one of the keys inside the text is that the way that you anchor your heart to wage the right fight in the midst of the storm 
to hold on to the faith and a good conscience. So your heart needs to be anchored in the midst of the shipwrecks if you're going to weather the storm. In conclusion, I want to ask the same question I asked at first, and I don't know if you caught it. Two words. What do you keep your heart anchored to in the midst of the storms? What I've been describing all along is that you need to keep your heart anchored in all these things. Follow me? You need to keep your heart anchored in the midst of the responsibility. You need to keep your heart anchored in the midst of picking the right fight. You need to keep your heart anchored uh, as you hold on to the faith. You need to keep your heart anchored as you keep a good conscience. You need to keep your heart anchored in the midst of all the shipwrecks. But what do you need to keep your heart anchored to? It's the question. How do you do it? I have short, simple answer, I think. The only way <coughs> you will uh, weather the storm uh, is if your heart is anchored to the immovable, incorruptible, incomparable truth of the gospel. Hebrews 6.19 makes it clear that Jesus is the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Did Jesus face the storm of our sin faithfully? He didn't tap out on His responsibility. He, he faced the storm of the cross with great joy. He fought the right fight perfectly. He faced the storms of doubt and despair and impurity with absolute perfection. This is Jesus. He didn't quit. He didn't turn tail and run. He didn't hang his head in shame. And he never, ever gave in to the temptation to sin. In the cross and in the empty tomb, what do we see? We see Jesus, our Savior, our risen King, reigning supreme. He's reigning supreme in the midst of the storm. If you could see a picture of Him hanging on that cross and the spiritual storm that is taking place around Him, oh, that you would catch the picture of that. The only way you will weather the storm is by anchoring your heart to the immovable, incorruptible, incomparable truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The job you bank on, worthless, bankruptcy. The marriage you bank on, it's worthless, it'll leave you bankrupt. The bank account you keep banking your life on, it's going to leave you bankrupt at the end of the day. That friendship, that relationship, that pursuit, that goal, whatever it is, if it is not Christ that will leave you bankrupt and shipwrecked on the shore. The only way you will weather the storm of this life is by anchoring your heart to the immovable, incorruptible, incomparable truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the gospel of Jesus Christ one more time for you. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ is namely that every one of us has been shipwrecked by our sin. We don't pull into the port of relationship with Jesus in good standing. We pull into that port, into that harbor, shipwrecked. And because of God's great love for us, the Father gives His Son on a cross to pay the price for our sin so that we could move away from being shipwrecked on the shores of our sin to being transformed on the shores of eternity. The problem is, is that you and I want to live not for eternity. We want to live for what we can have right now. So I plead with you. But please let this word sink in. And let the picture of Christ at that cross fighting for you transform your heart. The only way you will weather the storm of sin is if your heart is anchored to the incorruptible, incomparable truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We beg you to continue doing the work that you have begun in us this morning, even through this message. As we, as we approach you through um, communion, as we break the bread, as we drink the juice, as we remember the mess that you came and stepped into and gave your life for, I pray, Father, that you would anchor our hearts to the fury of the love of Jesus as He hung on that cross as He went to the tomb and left it empty. Pray, Father, that that resurrection power come and enable us to live and to love like you. In Jesus' name I pray. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.